With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Manchester United banishing those one-all blemishes with a much-needed victory against Brighton. Next up, a trip to all rivals Leeds. Endless leaks from an apparent disgruntled dressing room. And David De Gea and his part to play in this Manchester United project. That and much more on this latest episode of the Stradicast. And I'm Sean Connolly. I'm joined by the man who makes it all possible, Mr. Dale O'Donnell. Dale, we're going to start this week on a positive note. What is this? Three points against an extremely tough side. Clean sheet. A win is yeah. a win, Dale. Thoughts on the game? It was much needed. Um, I think, talking in hindsight, the result is very positive. But the, the first half, I think, with anger, a lot of people, um, certainly at halftime, reading through my Twitter timeline, people were very frustrated by our performance. I personally was thinking after recent games that we'd play well in the first half and then not so well in the second half that maybe we might see uh, the opposite. Um, and you could say pretty much that's what we kind of got. Um, the, yeah. the sending off, of course, when when they went down to 10 men after conceding the first goal, that made a big change to the game. I think also Paul Pogba coming off the bench made a big change to the game. He was alert. He was aggressive. He was he, people, people can say he's playing for the shop window, but I think right now we're just hoping for the best performance between now and the end of the season from Paul, and, and he is given that. Um, 100% he is, and he made a difference when he came on. So, look, I think with the run of results we've had recently, I'm delighted with the result. I wouldn't reflect too negatively on it because right now it's three points, what's very important. We've seen in recent weeks the games that we've played well and deserve to win and then not win. You know, what's the point in that? If we can get a few games where maybe we don't play so well and, and win, I'll take that. Um, what were your thoughts, Sean? Uh, yeah, I share quite a lot of what you said. Uh, I expected uh, a very tough game because, you know, I, I like my statistics and Brighton are right up there with the very, very best teams in terms of what they do. On, uh, I suppose on how they hold the ball, their possession and, and their use of the ball. I also spoke to you previously about the fact that I feel that they're probably a top striker short of being where they probably deserve to be. So I knew they were going to come out quick. I knew they were going to hold the ball. I knew they were going to try and press us high up the field. I didn't think we were going to be as completely overrun in the first half as we were. Um, I thought it was going to be difficult, but I don't know, did we make it a little bit more difficult on ourselves or was it just an extremely accomplished performance from Brighton? Either way, like you said, the important thing in that day was to get the win. That was the important thing. And it's one of those things where I wrote about it after. 
sometimes you can win and it can be hideous, but it doesn't matter. Three points is three points. And after what we had gone through the previous few weeks, it's all that mattered. We just needed three points. I guess, though, to our job is to analyse the game as well with the same point. And although we're happy mm. with the results, um, just something that I kind of thought about after the game, which a lot of people are suggesting, why can't Manchester United go 90 minutes? And I was just thinking a little bit afterwards that Ragnick said Brighton are arguably the third best side of pressing without the ball in the league. He rates them very highly. They're very, very good at that. We can see they're well organised. And I don't think you're you're well off with your statement that they're they're a striker away from being maybe in Europe. Um, it's not a wild mm. shout. And it shows how much Graham Potter, how far he's brought them. He's, he's a really, really good coach. And it'll be interesting to see yeah. where he ends up in the coming years. But I think Manchester United may also have gone into the game looking to manage themselves and manage their intensity because they would have known from recent games that Brighton would have smelled blood and they came out with the traps early on. They pressed. And I just felt maybe with Paul Pogba sitting on the bench, that Ragnick had a plan that he would wait for them to maybe show a bit leggy and then bring on Pogba to change the game. And that might have been his plan after a bad run of results in recent weeks. He might have went, went with something a bit more basic than that. But... You can't underestimate the opposition. We all know from watching football that Brighton are a very, very good side. And we all knew going into that game, Sean, that it was going to be a difficult task for Manchester United. We came out of it with a clean sheet, a 2-0 win. Ronaldo ended his goal-scoring drought of six games. A lot of people were talking about that. Um, I know people have, have more negativity to spread this week, but it was just nice to get three points on the board. Oh, God, it was, yeah. And, and you're exactly right in what you're saying. Um, yes, Brighton had a lot of possession, and yes, they pressed the ball high. Did they create a lot though? No. And you see, that's no. that's that's the thing that it, it's 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 that fine line between how much of the game plan that was obviously worked on very very strenuously by the manager came to fruition. He knew that they were going to have a lot of ball, but they were restricted to not doing a whole lot with it. And ultimately, someone who comes under the uh, the radar very very much, especially in recent weeks, and Harry Maguire. I mean, he can't do really anything right. He had mm. a good game. You know, yeah. he didn't put, he didn't, he didn't do a whole lot wrong, but yet no one is coming out and saying how great a game he had or, you know, how well he played. But had he to have misplaced the pass, that would have been everywhere. I think um, there was a good game plan. It, it was hard to watch in the first half. Um, but ultimately, when you really, really analyze this, they didn't create much. And it comes back to that line of what I said about the, the lacking of that real, real number nine that they have. I mean, let me like you, you know, I know we're not talking about Brighton, but I mean, if you take that Brighton side and say if you have a fully fit Raul Jimenez or someone playing in a number nine on that Brighton side, I think you'd do a fantastic job and a team would be an entirely different animal based on the statistics that they have. But um, look, it was fantastic, tough opposition, uh, tough game, and three hard fought points. I mean, you need some things to go your way. Uh, Ronaldo breaking the goal drought, fantastic finish as well. And um, ultimately, saw it out and uh, I'm very happy with the results. Just to give Ronaldo some credit as well, a lot of his goals mm. this season have come from, say, crosses or been put on a play for him, getting into good positions and that's how he scores the vast majority of his goals nowadays. But but that goal was, was quite vintage Ronaldo in a sense that he met it yeah. himself. Um, he drove forward and he struck Brighton um, with a great strike. But that was nice to see, especially during a period where people are kind of saying, oh, he looks a bit clunky. He's, he's not Ronaldo of old, but I pretty much accepted that when we signed him, Sean, that he was 36 
Um, he's now 37. And that we were signing a player that we had seen his best days at Old Trafford. And Real Madrid had seen his best days at the Bernabeu. But, but now he, he, he's finishing up. Um, he's still quality, as we've seen with the goals he's scored. But you do have a view that we don't, our football has, has maybe digressed a bit with Ronaldo in the team. That maybe his goals are important, but Manchester United, our style of play isn't as um, easy on the eye. Let me, I suppose, let me touch on the first part first. Fantastic goal, um, Ronaldo Wall Vintage. I, you know what I likened it to quite a bit? Remember that goal that Rooney scored against Newcastle? Now, not in that, like, it was a similar finish, but Rooney was obviously a very, very hot-headed individual. Yeah. And, and he, was in the, he was in the middle of arguing with the ref, and then he couldn't have connected sweeter with that ball and put it in the back end. There was so much anger. There was anger in the shot. With Ronaldo, Ronaldo's, for the first time in his career, really, like, He's, he's coming under a lot, of, a lot of heat. He's under the microscope. People talk about this goal drought. Is he past it? Is he too old to be able to do it? Getting questions from left, right and center. And I think he hit that ball with such anger. I think there was anger in it. And then also, you know, that he didn't bother with his, with his celebration. Ran straight down, slid, jumped into the crowd, basically. And, and there was real anger and raw emotion in that. It was fantastic to see. Because yeah. look, man, we're, we're, we're football fans, you know? So... I mean, he's one of the greatest footballers to ever play the game. So when you see that type of passion from an absolute great, it's brilliant to see. In terms of what you said, secondly, I, I think from the get-go, um, the dynamic of the side changed. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that Ronaldo has come and destroyed everything. I do feel that Ronaldo coming, it almost dictates that he's a starter. You know, the manager's put in a position where this is a starter and you built a team around him because he's too big a name to drop. We saw it when Solskjaer dropped him against Everton. I mean, there was more news about him not making the start in 11 than there was about the actual game itself. So you have this character who is almost as, as nailed on to being a starter. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to contradict myself because we spoke about it previously and his application and training will obviously merit a start. But it's just a name and, 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 and the aura around the player that it is. It's, 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 it's very, very hard not to start him. Um, and then when he comes into the position, he's, he's not 26-year-old Ronaldo anymore. He's 36 going on 37. I mean, he still moves fantastic, but he doesn't move in the same way that he used to because it doesn't matter how much money he spends on his body. Father time is going to catch up with everybody. You've got a situation where maybe he doesn't impose the same sort of stature and press on individuals. Maybe he doesn't track back as much. Maybe he can't drag opposition players out of the way to bring his, other, his, 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 his teammates into the game. And then you're getting into the situation where it was almost becoming very mirrored. In the beginning, opposition players like Newcastle didn't really know what to do against him, you know, because it was this, the, the, the feeling inside Noel Trafford that he, that, that, that he was home again. And, and, and that raucous, uh, I suppose, wild carnival type environment that was there, he really fed off it. The whole team fed off it. But then game by game went by, it became very obvious that Whoever was playing in the wing, they had tunnel vision. Let's get the ball into the box and pass it to Ronaldo. You have whoever you have in the center, Bruno being slightly more reserved in how he composes himself in the game. And it's all the final product has to come through Ronaldo. And ultimately, I feel there's a team in that particular stature. And it got so predictable to the point that obviously this little goal drill occurred where he went, what? Five games. I know people were saying six games. Six. But, six. But, it, but, but it wasn't necessarily six, was it? Because... He came off the bench for 15 or 20 minutes in one of them and 
he, yeah. he, he, he played he played he played an hour he played 65 minutes or something in the other games so it's about five games and i know it was over six but it was a it was like a cameo appearance in one and um i do i think ultimately it got into a position where we were a little bit predictable i think um, now, I, I think it's fair to ask questions i think we're, we're entitled to ask questions as, as fans um with ronaldo obviously returned fantastic but Ronaldo in, in, in the team, look, I'm looking back maybe the last eight, eight, nine years, you've had to make sacrifices for him in your team. Every team has had to make sacrifices. Real Madrid had to make sacrifices and you've had unhappy players. You, you, you could argue Gareth Bale wasn't let to flourish, but they're not going to argue that because Ronaldo was the best player in the world. But what I'm saying is the way teams have played in the past, they've had to make sacrifices. Portugal have had to build their team around them and they make sacrifices for that. Uh, Manchester United, I don't think, were really in a position where they could make sacrifices. We still had a team that was in the process of building. I think there were still big holes in that team that wasn't, which meant the team wasn't functioning properly, especially midfield. And then to throw in Ronaldo, what I'm saying is he, he, he's not the problem right now. But we had a number of problems. And then we went about sacrificing our style of play to fit him in. And now you're seeing the team even look more dysfunctional than ever, I'd argue. I'm not saying that Ragnick hasn't improved things. We've seen the team press. We've seen that. But I'm saying about the style of play that we're seeing on, uh, with Ronaldo in the team. We were, we were more electrifying going forward, I'd argue, last season. And in previous years before he came. But we didn't have that goal-scoring instinct. And we haven't had that for a very long time. You know, we sold Lukaku. Lukaku didn't work out after his first season. We, didn't, we still didn't replace that. So we, we, we no. got in Ronaldo. No, no. But I'll say a couple of things on that just really quickly. I mean, I hear this quite a bit and you see it quite a lot on social media. This person is not the problem. This is not the problem. This is not the problem. I think Manchester United's problem is that there's a cultivation of a lot of little problems that make one big problem. And they're all little cogs in that. And there's not one, I mean, there is obviously one defining problem is at the head of the snake. I get that. But in terms of the results, the performances, the play, I think it's, it's one problem which is made up of a lot of little problems. And um, each of them are as significant as the other. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, you do make sacrifices and a club and country, they have made sacrifices, but that hasn't been for a 37 year old Ronaldo. This is, this is a new Ronaldo. This Ronaldo has not been here before. He's not been 37 before. And ultimately you're making sacrifices for an older guy. And yes, he is more clinical, but then at the same time, like I've spoken about before, you're talking post lockdown football. That's some of the most attractive front play we've ever had. Like in, in the last few years, obviously, when you're talking about with uh, Marcial Greenwood Rashford and the interchange and, and not necessarily having someone of that clinical nature like Ronaldo, but having endless goals and assists from a front three as opposed to one individual. And that's the difference. No, I absolutely agree. And obviously, another talk about we're going to get on to as well is um, the one you've picked this week, which is David De Gea. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the game against Brighton, he pulled off an absolute outstanding save which he appears to do every week but you have raised points in the past valid points I must add about his his attributes his all-around game you've been you've been writing about it for over a year Sean on Stratty News you've mentioned on previous podcasts so it's not something that you're just pinning on him right now or at, at, at a moment in time looking for attention but there are flaws to his game 
why did you want to make him one of the talking points in the podcast this week? Yeah, so with with the hair, I suppose, look, to start, this is something that I can very much lay my hat on because I have been speaking about this for, for well over a year. It's um, it's almost gone very fashionable at the moment for people to talk about this, particularly on social media, because there's so much information available um, that it's very easy to try to plagiarize it and turn it into your own words. Ultimately, with De Gea, he is without question one of the finest shot stoppers that the game has ever seen and that I've ever seen. And I would never begrudge him that. Absolutely not. But I think it, it goes to the picture of what I was talking about, that the one big problem is a lot of little problems. And I do absolutely believe that De Gea is one of those little problems. Football has advanced so much and the way that football is played has advanced so much. It's about tactics and it's continually technical. We're talking about 21st century footballers and goalkeepers are indeed 21st century players who have to be competent at playing football. It's about more than shot stopping, as aesthetically pleasing as it is to see David De Gea pulling off these absolute champagne saves, which are brilliant. The other fundamentals are being ignored so much and the prospect of an individual trying to have what could be classified as a negative point, even though it's probably a perfectly valid point, but De Gea is almost quelled and quashed online, is in that you don't know what you're talking about. The distribution is, is probably one of the most fundamental flaws that we have, because ultimately I feel it cascades and it leads to further issues. De Gea is an enigma in that he can start a negative passage of play for the team that leads to the opposition pressing forward and having an opportunity which will end up with De Gea pulling off an absolute world-class save that will then be spoken about after the game that he has saved the game for us or he has won points for us when ultimately he has started the move due to very, very poor distribution. And this is something that's not been spoken about enough. And, if, and, and even when it has been spoken about, we're getting into a position where people are just disregarding it because they're saying it doesn't matter. A goalkeeper's there to save uh, the, the, the ball going into the back of net and he's doing it better than anybody. And yes, when he's pulling off these highlight reel saves, he is doing it better than anybody. But you have to just reverse 30 seconds and see how the opposition got the ball and got into the position to be able to have that shot in the first place. And more often than not, it is coming from a very, very poor piece of distribution from De Gea. Now, I know against Brighton, he had over 70% pass completion, but it's very easy to get that type of pass completion when all you're doing is stagnated sideways passes to, we'll say, Lindelof or to, to, to Maguire and they're five, six yard passes and, and they're happening over and over again because ultimately what's occurring is the pass is becoming so, so obvious it's just easy for the opposition attackers to know where he's going to pass the ball and to pressurize it. This is where the high pressures come into position. Now you're talking about this as well and it's a goalkeeper that has a very, very tame command of his area and an extremely tame command of his area. So when you're then adding distribution in with the command of the area it's 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 just asking for problems and when you really break it down and you get into the nerdy statistical side of it you have the way goalkeepers are kind of measured is the uh, expected goals conceded and it's more so based around the difficulty of the shot in comparison to the position of the goalkeeper and when you really really look at it and really break it down we have a position whereby we have one of the finest shot stoppers the game has ever seen who probably two times out of three is at fault for the opposition getting the shot in the first place. And um, that's why I feel it's relevant. I feel too many people are disregarding it because they can look at 90 minutes of Brighton or in some people's case, just watch the highlights or read the lines on Twitter 
and make a decision that David saved us in that particular game because of this one save without actually disregarding what happened beforehand. But as someone who has referred to Ragnick and his selection of players, backing it up with how they, they perform in training, can you not see that maybe there's something that because it's not just Ragnick that has selected uh, or De Gea. All he did as well at the start of the season. I know we spoke uh, before we started recording that at the beginning of the season, if it wasn't for COVID, that you could make a very strong argument that Henderson would have been first choice at the beginning of the season. It didn't quite work out. De Gea reached probably some of his better form um, and he's remained in the team. But well, what you're saying, and, and I can see what you're talking about. I can see it every week. Uncontested distribution at times goes straight to the opposition. I don't understand why he makes some of the passes that he does uh, and we and we lose the ball and we, and we concede chances. But his shot-stop ability is out of this fucking world. It's incredible. It's like sometimes he makes these saves, as you said, but he's almost contributed to giving away the chance. And it, it, it's like he's shooting himself in the foot at times. But Ragnick selects him. And we, we have a great goalkeeper in, as a backup with Henderson, who's, who's not getting game time. So there must be something to it. He hasn't got a clause in his contract to say that he has to play a, a certain percentage of games. He's the first choice goalkeeper and has been for, what, maybe seven, six years? Yeah, he's the first choice goalkeeper. Um, but... Yes, look, something could very well be happening in the background. You might just have a situation where Raniak doesn't fancy Henderson. I, I, I do firmly believe that at the way last season was finishing up, coming into the start of this season, if it wasn't for Dean Henderson testing positive with COVID, Dean Henderson was going to be our first-choice goalkeeper. And ultimately, he had a bit of a battle to come out of it and to regain fitness by the time he's done so. He's obviously got himself into a position where he's had to try to convince a new manager that he's the man to go. And uh, it just hasn't played out for him yet. And then obviously, I don't know what's happening behind the scenes. Um, I mean, it's going to get into what I'm going to ask you next with regards to the endless leakages of apparent disgruntled dressing room and unflavorable players. Um, Maybe maybe Mr. Henderson is is involved in that and himself and Mr. Raniak have quite possibly knocked heads over something that we're not aware of. I'm not going to go too heavy in like Harry Neville and, and suggest that I know who, who's leaking the information. Um, as, as, as you alluded to, we, we have our suspects. Um, mine, I, I'm not including Henderson into that. I don't think some of the stuff that's coming out has come from Henderson. But anyway, I am disgusted uh, at some of this and I, and I totally agree with Gary Neville that when you see these headlines come out, whether you trust the source or not. Some of, this, some of these re- reports, by the way, have come from respectable journalists who, who I trust, David MacDonald being one. Um, some of these stories have come from good journalists who, get, who have sources within, within the club. So I don't think it's all bullshit. I think there's no smoke without fire, but it has to stop. It has to stop. And something Gary Neville alluded to, and he referred to the Chelsea team of old with John Terry and Frank Lampard, when there was regular leaks in the dressing room, is he said that's what we're seeing at Manchester United. That's the level of poison that's in the dressing room, pretty much. And the next manager, what, what that means is he's got an almighty job to do. And we, we, we spoke at length, Sean, down the past year or so since, since we got speaking about Manchester United. 
about the cultural reboot and the po- the positive signs of of Ollie. Well, I can tell you right now from what I'm hearing and seeing, it's not Ollie's fault, but that's gone. That's completely gone. Cultural reboot, my arse. That's, that doesn't exist. The next manager that comes in has an almighty task to do, something that the club did not expect they would have to do in November. Now it's serious when you have constant leaks and you have people trying to pin blames. And, and the reason this comes out is because when results are bad, these footballers, they don't, they don't point the finger at themselves. They don't want to take responsibility. So they are going out and they are leaking to their agents and to their social media companies. And they're given their side of events. And they, they've no business doing that. They are Manchester United footballers. They're all accountable in when we get bad results. But it becomes toxic when everyone's trying to give their side of the story. And not only have we got our players doing that. If you go back a couple of months ago to Paul Pogba, we also had a war of words with his agent in the media. We don't need that. Don't need that. And when that happens, that's when I expect players to stand up and to say to your agent, look, you, what you said is probably what I'm echoing, but it looks really bad. The club doesn't need this. And we've so many players, Sean, that have been leaking stuff in the past couple of months and past couple of years, leaking team news before games. Who the mm. fuck in the right mind think that's, thinks that's okay? I know. I know. T- t- players, because they're the only ones that are going to know the team news. That's where that's coming from. We got team news early for the past year, week in, week out. It's not, it's not, it's not guesswork. It's not guesswork, no. you know. So, no, so we, we have massive problems at Manchester United. And that's why I think it's kind of, we, we had that win against Brighton and the, and the reaction on social media was quite moody. The atmosphere at Old Trafford at the moment is quite moody. You know, he heard there was, there was jeers for, we're speaking about David De Gea. There was jeers for him when he touched the ball. He wasn't getting the ball out quick enough. There was jeers for Harry Maguire, who actually ended up having a good game. Old Trafford is moody. People aren't happy. And I'm telling you, the big, one of the biggest reasons for that is, because all we're reading about is constant negativity and players not taking responsibility for results. Everybody, no one is taking responsibility. So you fit into that as well. One of the biggest things with it too is... There might be an outside perception from other football clubs that United fans are, we'll say, were greedy and, and spoiled and, and spoiled by our successes of the past. I can speak for myself, and I'm sure I speak for a lot of other United fans. The results, obviously, you want positive results. But if we had 11 players on the field that were truly committed to the cause and giving their all, and none of this nonsense was occurring in the background, just adding fuel to the the absolute media hungry, the, 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 the crave that's there for a story and for an article about United, then every single supporter in that stadium would be 100% beside every single player in the field. I'm not wrong. You know, it's, it's one of those positions where we need a bit of heart. There has to be a passion and a desire and a want and a will to be wearing that football jersey and understand that wearing that jersey is enough. I wrote recently um, on social media, about how it was a privilege to play for the football club and a privilege to support the football club. But people question me, ask me, why is it a privilege? And, and I'm kind of thinking like, well, if I have to explain that, then it's not the right club for you. You know what I mean? And the players should know that more than anybody. Look at the other leak that came out a week ago that Chris Armas, Ragnick's assistant, linking him, kind of comparing him to Ted Lasso, a fictional character from a, hmm. 
from a comedy series. I look, look, when, I, when I first read that, like, I kind of thought, huh, fuck, like, who the fuck is talking like that? Hmm. What professional in that dressing room is talking like that? Because whoever it was that leaked information, if it's true, whoever it was that leaked that information, I don't want them at the club. That is just no. ridiculous. That, like, that's what's being leaked out of Manchester United. Like, fucking, it's just not even newsworthy, some of it. But anyway, I'm really fed up with it. I think we all are. I think it's. I think it's echoing a lot of. Um, I think it's. Or it's. It's. It's influencing a lot of our opinions on matches as well. It reflects our mood when we constantly see these leaks. That all is not well in the dressing room. And another thing, before we move on, one of the leaks was that there was a, a rift between Maguire and Ronaldo over the captaincy role. I really and I highly doubt, Sean, that Ronaldo gives a shit about wearing the captain's armband. I'd say Ronaldo's biggest priority right now is the fact that Manchester United can't get a run of wins, that he won't end the season with a trophy. I think that's what Ronaldo's probably talking about in the dressing room. I don't think he's complaining about a piece of cloth, which I think most people can agree listening to this podcast that the role of captain has kind of lost its significance in recent years. It's not what it used to be. And people tend to just pick captains now, which I think Solskjaer was guilty of. Harry Maguire never cut out to be a Manchester United captain. I think that's probably part of the reason why he's getting so much stick. And that's not his fault. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the personnel as well. I mean, go back through the years and some of the, the captains that we've had at the club. I mean, Robson, Keno, you know, they, they, they're the proper men. And if they were there, it does mean something. If you have a player of that caliber and a player of that wearing that armband, the, the, the team if you will... have it yeah if you have it yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly now I mean look what you said about Maguire I mean look a lot and, and the majority of the good that he has done at this football club has been completely forgotten by so many people he's having an, an absolute torrid time this season anybody can see that and he can probably admit that himself but he did a lot of good beforehand he can't help the transfer fee that was paid for him and uh, the armband going on his and uh, around his arm. I mean, you can see reasoning as to why it was done at the time. But ultimately, I agree with you about Ronaldo. I don't think at this stage of his career, wearing that armband means anything to him. Because ultimately, he probably has an impression that regardless of, wearing, regardless of who's wearing the armband inside that club, that everyone is looking at him in the training field and everyone is looking at him in the dressing room. And, and, and he knows that. And if there is any sort of aggravation between himself and Maguire, that's probably what it comes from. And that's just, I suppose it's a, it's a sense of competitive nature, isn't it? There's, I'm no longer the, the head honcho in here. There's someone in here who's revered more than me, you know? I, 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 and I also don't think that Ronaldo should be the one, from what I understand, I don't feel Ronaldo should be the one that is going against Harry Maguire right now. I think there are members of the dressing room that are going against Harry Maguire right now. And I don't think it's Ronaldo. So I don't know why the leaks are kind of suggesting that it's Ronaldo that's had a fallen out with, with Harry Maguire. I think Harry Maguire does have problems with certain players um, that they don't probably trust him. And I think that that's, to be honest, as someone that has been very critical of Harry Maguire, pretty much since he's come to Manchester United, I've been critical of him uh, and, and his transfer fee. I don't like that. I don't like that we have a player that other players are, are looking down on and I don't trust. That's awful. That's really poor. And that brings me back to the point where I'm talking about these leaks. There's poison in the dressing room. It remains. And Solskjaer got rid of a lot of it. 
He got rid of a lot of bad eggs. But his job, he, 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 when he was sacked, he still had plans for the future. He wasn't finished his job. So that job has to continue as well to get those bad eggs out. They still exist. And I'm hoping, Sean, I'm hoping that it's the ones that are, have their contracts expiring in the summer because that means they're going. I hope it's not players that are signed on jacked up contracts with big contracts that could stay for another two or three years. I mm-hmm. hope it's not that case because then that becomes tricky for the club. We have, no, here, here. We have a range of questions as well that we need to get to. Um, I'm going to ask you the first one, if that's okay, Sean. It's from Dave Cleaver yeah. from the Fire Facebook away. group. He says he was roasted for saying that he'd love Scott's aggression and tenacity versus Brighton. He said, okay, he's not world-class, but can we talk about Scott? Now, I thought myself, Sean, I didn't think Scott McTominay had a particularly good game, but I thought when I saw this question come in that it's not a better person to ask than yourself to talk about Scott. Um, you're a big yeah. fan of McTominay. So you're, yeah. let's talk about Scott. Let's talk about Scott. Okay, talk about Scott against Brighton. Um, there, was, there was pros and cons. I, I saw a lot of negativity versus a lot of attempted positivity online about his performance and his tenacity and his obviously his continued aggression on the field I, I, I think is good and it is often overlooked um, I think the, you see look with, with Scott I think the largest sort of reason that people pull on him is because he's in midfield and so often we're, we're overrun in these games and as a result of such it has to be his fault that's why a lot of people look at this um, another sort of talking point that gets quite a lot of attention on Scott is um, maybe some people will pull that he likes to lock himself away in a position which doesn't allow distribution from De Gea um, or defenders. And I felt against Brighton, he was the complete opposite of that. He was showing for the ball quite regularly. He was regularly involved in build-up play. He was running from start to finish, getting himself in positions where he was trying to break up opposition play. Um, He didn't stop. And it was also ultimately his tackle on Basuma to put the ball to Ronaldo's feet, which led to the goal. So I feel like while he wasn't amazing against Brighton, I don't think he was poor against Brighton. I think it was a solid performance. And um, I think that uh, he's ultimately sort of, he's, he's, he's criticized an awful lot more than he should be. This isn't because I'm a fanboy and it's not because I'm unaware to, or, or unwilling to see because I, I, I'm absolutely, I mean, I, I'll be the first person, the first person to critique a poor performance. I honestly will. Um, I, if I'm trying to pick out poor perf- individual performances against Brighton, I certainly would have been putting McTominay's name up there. I thought Fred, who I'm often very vocal about, about how much I actually enjoy watching him play and like the, the, the work he puts in. I mean, I saw an amusing uh, tweet that Fred had completed 100% of his passes to Brighton players. I had seen a tweet on, on social media about that. Um, I thought he was very, very poor. Fred was, was his, his distribution was, was terrible. And I think if anybody in midfield was going to be getting highlighted for having a poor performance, it was him, not McTominay. And that's just my opinion. Um, but I feel that McTominay uh, doesn't deserve any sort of the slack that he was getting in that particular uh, game. But so, the yeah, thing, the thing is, uh, just before you touch on the next question, Sean, the thing is as well mm. with, with, with this and the, the criticism people get on social media, 
But I say that McTominay, I think, didn't have a great game. I wouldn't pinpoint him out like some people have on social media. And that, that, that's more of an agenda people set up. And I've seen this under Solskjaer as well. We've seen people that have made their judgment of, of Solskjaer quite early in his reign. And though yeah. a lot of those people were unwilling to, to change their tune. And they built a narrative and then they picked on him. And I think that can be the same with certain players. I think that Scott McTominay, there's a certain small section of people you see on Twitter who would argue he should be nowhere near the Manchester United starting lineup because they would rather a superstar. They'd rather a big name signing to come in. Someone they've seen twice play in League One or the Champions League. They that's what they would prefer. Now Scott McTominay offers a lot to Manchester United. He's he's a big presence in midfield. When he plays well, he plays really fucking well. And, and, and we, we, can, we already know that Ragnick is a big fan of him and Fred, especially when they tick. But I, I do agree that some of the criticism is way too harsh. Dave touched on how he was jumped on for saying that he loves Scott McTominay's aggression and, and tenacity. Mm. You can still yeah. take that from a bad performance. A player can still show that from a bad performance. And he can still say, look, at least he showed something. At least he showed he showed a bit of bottle that he cared. Doesn't mean you're saying that he's fucking Zinedine Zidane. And people need to jump yeah. down your throat. I think I spoke to you off air about social media and the way people portray themselves. The people need to think a bit, think twice about they portray themselves and try to show a bit more class online because a lot of people just want to jump down people's throats. They do. And you see, ultimately, touching on what you're saying there, you have a position where you have someone who's probably composed a message in notes on her phone. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a preposition and a pre-opinion on the game before it even happens. Could be 20 passes made by the player in the game, 19 of them perfect, but yet you'll focus on one that is incorrect. And it's something that it's not going to weigh anytime soon, ultimately. And somebody like Dave, who's getting roasted for saying he loves Scott's aggression and tenacity, he's perfectly right to, 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 to vocalize that. And the individuals that are going against him, it's just a deep resided uh, agenda that's just not going to change. So, Dave, if you're listening, which I'm sure you are, keep giving out, keep boasting, and keep, keep praising the love for tenacity. Scott. Keep, keep the, the love, love for Scott. Scott. Yeah. Keep it over, Scott. Now, look, I'm going to uh, give you one here from uh, Ben Parsons. Ben, obviously known widely for his work. He says, would relinquishing the captaincy until the end of the season undermine Maguire? Yeah, good question, Ben. It came in last night before Ragnick spoke. So we don't know from Ragnick that Maguire is keeping the captaincy. But I do think so. I think that is the reason why when Ragnick came in and he, he actually confirmed this two weeks ago that Maguire would keep the captaincy. Now, he got the job on a six-month basis. Got the job to get United back on track. And changing a captain midway through the season, it, it, it's not really the done thing, is it? Like, you know, you, people are asking him to do mm. something that isn't really a done thing. And he knew when he stepped into the job that a new manager was coming at the end of the season. So it's only logical that he, he would think that a big call like changing the captain would come from the next manager. I left that to him. No, he doesn't need to make that decision. And I, I think he's right. I think there's, there's, we've spoken about problems, Sean, and this guy's not the problem and this guy's not the problem. What I think what Ragnick is doing here is he's not creating another problem. He's not going to isolate another player. He's going to let the next manager decide when there's this big summer transfer window what he's going to do with Harry Maguire. And I'm not someone, like I said, that I've, I've been critical of Maguire. I don't think he's captain. 
but I'm not necessarily calling for him to be stripped of a midway through a season. I think that is a decision that Ragnick is right to leave until the summer. Um, but but Sean, I know, yeah. I know, I know that that was my question to answer. But but your thoughts on that? I know we're we're talking in hindsight. We're trying to answer the question to make it more kind of relevant to to, to this moment in time. So mm. Would you would you agree what I'm saying that to take a captaincy, even off a player that's struggling midway through a season, it's kind of a pointless kind of task. Well, it's completely pointless. It's it's completely counterproductive to to what Ranik is trying to achieve. You've got a player, as I touched upon just a few moments ago, and it's obviously he's having a, a very, very difficult season. And it's uh, putting the previous work he's put in the past two seasons just to, to one side and allowing people to focus on poor performances. The manager's job as a manager is to motivate footballers, is to motivate his players. And if you take your captain, strip him of the captaincy, whilst he's in the middle of a situation where he's trying to reclaim any sort of avenue of his form, you might as well just say, okay, you're done, you know, and that's that. Um, I think it was pretty apparent from when he spoke in his presser that um, he said, no, it's not happening. Not until, and he said, it's going to stay like this and it's not going to change until the summer. Well, he didn't say until the summer, but he said he's going to remain captain until the summer. You know, it's, 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 it's possible something could happen thereafter, but um, I mean, it, it would be incredibly foolish and especially if a man of the intelligence and the intellect of Raniak to come in and do something like that, I would have been dumbfounded. I wouldn't expect it from somebody like that because to me, it seems like the most illogical thing to do to, to change your captain mid-season. It really does. Um, just before we, uh, we finish up there, we might as well just give a quick talk over on the game coming up on Sunday. Uh, tri- trip to the, to the old foe. They have them one in three. Uh, Dan James is talking pretty uh, highly about how confidence is in the park with United coming. What are your thoughts on it? How are you feeling with the game? If there is a game that is tailor-made for Manchester United in the uh, calendar season, this is it, isn't it? Is it anymore? And I, and I say that in a way that this, this fixture at the start of the season, it was perfect for Manchester United. We knew with the way that Ali set up that we would annihilate Leeds. It was the guaranteed three points, right? So we counter-attacked. They'd come out naively leave holes in the fence, and we'll just annihilate them. Now, at the weekend, we could still annihilate them, but what I'm expecting is way more end-to-end. I'm expecting... I don't expect Ragnar to sit back. I think he'll, he, he'll accept that the way Marcelo Belsa plays, they'd be aggressive, they'd come out of the traps, and they'll just go for it. I think it would be like a bit like the game we've seen against Southampton, where watching it, it felt like you were watching something from the Bundesliga. Um, that's what I think we'll see on Saturday. I'm confident we were a much better team than, than, than Leeds. They have injury problems. As you mentioned, they haven't won in the last three. And the, 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 we get a bonus point if we beat them, in a way, because it strengthens our position for top four. And it also sends them into a bit of a relegation scrap. And next week, they have to play not only Liverpool, but Spurs. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so it sends them into relegation scrap and I would love nothing more than that to, to see Luke Leeds go down uh, at the beginning of the season we actually called the episode Dirty Leeds because mm. we, had, we had Daniel Nardiello on and he was talking about how 
when he was playing for Manchester United, how Gary Neville, as a young player, just referred to Leeds as dirty Leeds the whole time. If he was ever referring to him, it would be dirty Leeds, dirty Leeds. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so it is. It's it's an old rivalry. Um, of course, looking forward to looking forward to the fact that it's the first time in a long time that this fixture has had fans. Didn't have it last season, so it has that added bite to it, which I'm looking forward to. But Sean, yourself, um, any comment on the game before Andy? Obviously, you're confident. Yeah, can yeah, we yeah. can we be confident? Oh, I think we can be confident. This is the I look. This is the one game of the season. I know, I know, we're we're away and they're going to have the, the fans there. It's going to gym up. There's going to be added intensity and there's going to be um, added aggression from an already aggressive side. But they play one way. They play man for man. Um, Pogba was massive in the in the game at Old Trafford at the start of the season. What to get four assists in that game? I think. Um, from the left he's, flank as well mm, he's almost certainly going to play he was rested and obviously brought on um, so he's almost certainly going to feature from the start I think uh, like we touched upon at the very start as he has been in the past couple of weeks and for the remainder of the season I think Pablo is going to be influential in pulling all the strings in the field and I see him continuing that form I see him taking on this man for man proposition that uh, Bielsa has with Leeds and um, yeah, they're a side they're after ship, and I believe 11 goals in their last five games. They've conceded three each in their last two games. They've got one point from their previous three. I, uh, I know they're going to be up for it because this is going to be their, their FA Cup final. But, um, Are you suggesting that Paul Pogba is the fantasy football pick of the weekend? I think Paul Pogba is the fantasy football pick of the weekend. Yeah, I really do. But also, I saw something I believe now I could be proven wrong on this. But I think in Bruno's last three games against Leeds, does he have five or six goal contributions as well? So he's another one, you know. But and, and just think- to add, add to that, Pogba and Bruno have the best um, assist to goal combination in the Premier League this season, which I find outstanding given the amount of football that Pogba has missed this year. Second to that, it's Andrew Robertson and Diego Jota with three. But between Pogba and Bruno, from they've got four, so that could be one for the weekend if, if people are looking for a bit of a betting tip. Um, it's a Pogba assist and a Bruno goal, um, especially given their, yeah. their their record against Leeds. Yeah, yeah, and I would expect an entirely different uh, start to the game from United than we had against Brighton. Typically, as well, because Pogba is probably going to feature from the start. I think we're going to pepper their goal with shots. I think they'll get a lot of shots as well. So um, Mr. Shot-Stopping Dave will want to beat his very, very best. Um, but the, Which he uh, is, which he is at the moment, Sean. Yeah, yeah, which he is, of course. And uh, we're going to have a lot of shots. And it feels like it's been about 10 years since we scored from a set piece. But I have a funny feeling. I have a funny feeling this weekend is going to uh, see an end to that. So if I, if, I, if, I was, if I was a betting man, that's what I'd be betting on. You know, you just score from a set piece. Piranha McGuire. Oh, Harry, of course. Okay. Do you know, you know, you know, you know something crazy with Harry? Like for a man that is 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 is, is failing so much to hit the back of the net with United, do you know he has six goals from his last 13 international matches? Mm, mm, yeah. Like that's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Like six goals from 13 international matches. You would expect so much more given the amount of set pieces that we actually win as a club. Um, but I I have a funny feeling. It, it, it's coming. Um, I would say, you now if I was back in money, Maguire from a set piece. 
we're, we're pretty much we're expecting goals. We're expecting goals. I think since, so. I think, I think, I think since, so. since last season, we've scored 11 goals against Leeds, which is outstanding. But anyway, we have that to look forward to this weekend. I really yes, yes. hope that when we come back next week, that we're talking about another win um, before we preview, which would be a fascinating Champions League game against Atletico Madrid. Um, I can't wait for it. And that's going to be an absolute eye-opener, I think, when, when it comes to it. Because at the moment, Atletico Madrid are, are, are really struggling domestically. They're, they lost the bottom of the table, Levante, the other night. And Manchester United, at the moment, were pretty much in the same boat. You'd have to say, no, we're on the back of a win and, and all is good. But that would be a real test. Um, that would be a real test. So we'll be back to preview that next week, since that's the big one. And we'll be reviewing the game against Leeds. Sean, thanks so much for joining me. Sean, how can people follow you on Twitter? They can get me at SeanConnolly85. And you can follow my account at O'Donnell Dale. Also, follow the Stratycast and Stratty News on Twitter. Make sure you keep up to date with us when it comes to Manchester United news and opinion. Sean will be getting his piece out after that Leeds game. Thanks for listening. Speak soon. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.